The Body Love Binge is the podcast for you if you're so done with living in the hellhole of an eating disorder, hating your body and constantly wishing you were thinner. If you're truly ready to heal from anorexia, bulimia or binge eating disorder and genuinely make friends with your body, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Victoria Kleinsman, a food freedom and body love coach, eating disorder and abuse survivor who's on an absolute mission to love and support millions of women to come back home to self-love and intuition eating. If it's possible for me, I know it's possible for you as well. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you in the episode. Welcome queens to another episode of the Body Love Binge. I've got a special guest with me today. I'm going to read her bio to you and then introduce her. So I have Scarlett O'Connor with me and Scarlett is a qualified and accredited therapist who has worked with hundreds of clients over the years. After a 25 year personal battle with eating disorders, she now works solely with bulimics and binge purge anorexics. Scarlett has devoted her life to helping them regain the joy of their lives and be free from the restraints of disordered eating. So Scarlett, welcome to the podcast. Okay, thank you for having me. It's great to be here today. I'm excited for this as I as as I am with every guest because I only allow guests on here that are fully aligned and are going to bring value. So a little bit of a surprise for you before we go into the depth of the questions. We're going to start off with 10 quick fire questions. Okay. Just so the listeners get to know your vibe, we can relax into it, have a bit of fun. Yeah. So are you ready? Okay, cool. Okay. So number one, sweet or savory? Savory. Ideal holiday. Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Dogs or... <laughs> what did you say? Being cozy and asleep, somewhere comfy, yeah. <laughs> dogs or cats? Dogs, 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 all the way. Cat phobia. Oh, really? Yeah. I love I love my little dogs as well. Dogs. Yeah. Me too for dogs. Favorite hobby? Gym. Favourite food? Beans. <laughs> English baked beans? Literally classic English baked beans. I love it. You know, as you know, I'm in the Netherlands, but I'm British. You cannot get decent baked beans over here. They all taste shit. Just putting it out. There. I'm so sad. boring, right? But I, I'm asking them the truth. I could have said something so exotic at that Beans. I love it. If you can't get beans, that's that's not good. No, you'd be sad over here, put it that way. (laughs) Number six, the most ridiculous diet you've ever done. Well that'll be the the most ridiculous that'll be anorexia, not eating for weeks and weeks and weeks and then so yeah. 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 If, If you could have dinner with someone dead or alive, who would it be? Marilyn Monroe. Mm. Boom. Okay, this is kind of quite a big question. One thing you would change about the world? I would change about the world. Um, I'll just just the attitude to war. Most definitely, just that's too deep. There you go. I simplify it. Attitude to war. Attitude to war. I fully agree with that one. 
Yeah. Number nine, the favorite way to move your body. Oh, dancing. That's definitely. Oh, cool. Yeah. The last question, which seems strange sometimes me asking it at the beginning, but it will give us a vibe of what's to come. What do you want people to take away from this conversation that we're going to have? I am so very passionate about the diagnostic criteria around eating disorders. Eating disorders do not have a shape, a size or a definition. Um, We do sometimes need names to uh, classify, but... You can be anorexic at any size, etc. That's so important. You know, people are, are putting typecasts into boxes. And I don't think it's because it's not how it is and how it should be. But yeah, that's a very important message that I want to get across, definitely. And I'm sure we're going to go deeper into that because that's really important for me to share as well. In fact, only this morning, I had someone join my free private support group um, and she said, so I always welcome everyone who comes in and she shared and she said, I struggle with not being sick enough in quotes because she's not classed as underweight and people are worse than her. So obviously I'm starting to coach her through this in the group, but that's very common for people to not think that they, they need the support, but that's not true. Exactly. The BMI is point zero zero two high. Therefore you don't fit into the right box for the treatment that you need or you know your body isn't the right shape or size therefore you don't need the treatment those those things um they upset me I want to say they make me angry but but they upset me because they are massive barriers to people accessing the help that they need in whatever way that they access it yeah so can we actually stay here before I ask you to share your story and Mm. let's say you had well you're not a doctor but let's say someone went Mm. went to a doctor with Mm. clear signs and behaviors that they have anorexia yet they're in a larger body what would you be looking for without obviously looking at the BMI to show that someone might have anorexia anorexia is a food aversion Uh, anorexia is when somebody is completely consumed with not consuming food in order to become as small as they possibly can. Um, they will be dysmorphic. What they see when they look in the mirror is not, not what they are. Um, anorexic people do not eat. So therefore you can be, uh, you know, whatever body size and develop anorexic tendencies or anorexia. You know, it's an aversion to food. It's an aversion to feeling food in your body, but it's also the way that they look at their body. Um, and somebody with anorexia will continue or desire to be smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. So at the start point of that, you know, typically people expect somebody to, you know, present or manifest as skeletal or tiny or, but really in effect, you could be at any weight or any size and present with those symptoms and and, and that situation. Yeah. And in, in the world we live in, and again, I'm speaking from a, a, a client that I'm working with. She's mm-hmm. in, not in England, she's in a foreign country, but she's English. Mm-hmm. And I'm working through with her, the purge anorexia. So the it's not even a binge, it's an anorexia purge. So she's not, it's not like she's even eating to then purge. And because she's in a body that's not underweight and a body that's clusters overweight, even though she's literally not eating anything, she gets so much backlash from professionals saying to her, I don't believe that you don't eat because look at you. And I'm I'm so fucking angry for her as a coach as well. Yeah. 
that literally boils me that actually boils me yeah yeah it, that's that's that was my original message it drives me absolutely mad can't stand it yeah so, just so it was, to... at what point do we accept that this person is suffering we just sit back and we wait until they are actually skeletal and dying and and then we'll say okay fine now you can have some it's not even just treatment it's acceptance isn't it by the world right but even by people around them you know it yeah. absolutely mad. really so, does so Scarlett I'm really looking forward to hearing your story as well so do you mind sharing with us where you've come from and how and why you became the therapist that you are today specializing in these type of eating disorders Goodness. Um, yeah, so 25 years with me. I mean, I started very, very young. I had I built an association with food that was unhealthy. So I had an undiagnosed health condition going on, um, ADHD and dyslexia all mixed into one with normal intelligence. Um, so I was struggling and I didn't have the best, best, you know, background going on. So I developed a relationship with food where I would numb feelings, thoughts um within my body by eating. Uh, and that started at a very young age. And because I wasn't, I didn't have any restraints, I was able to just keep eating. So I developed binge eating disorder probably around around that age, around nine. And mm-hmm. um, obviously my body weight increased, which had an effect on my peer, you know, my peer interactions, my education. Um, and my self-identity, obviously I was growing up, my self-perception was really, really poor. I didn't feel like a little girl. I didn't feel... I didn't feel like a human being, to be honest with you. I did not fit into anything, um, and I felt terrible. That continued, um, so much so that I actually left school at 13, um, which was catastrophic for my life, you can imagine. Mm. Um, but I'm going to sort of synopsis it. But I, I got to the point where I wanted – I was very, very overweight, probably. I mean, when I went on the diet, which which did develop into what they call anorexia, so I I went from eating a lot to being so desperate to change my body, to change the way that I felt, to change the way that people perceived me. Um, I completely stopped eating. Well, I was eating like an apple and a yogurt a day, um, and I lost I think 150 pounds. I was about 19 then, so that's quite a lot, sort of 10 stone, I think. Oh, well, um, now, now my brain works in stone, as yours does. Right, so I, I'm used to trying to give it in stones and pounds and sometimes kilos, but it, it was around 10 or 11 stone that I lost. So you can imagine, you know, I went from being extremely overweight to looking different. And as that journey continued, I became socially accepted. People mm-hmm. were like, wow, you know, look at these curves that you've got, you look amazing, you're so beautiful underneath all that fat. And I will use the word just in my story because that's how it was for me. Um and I wasn't letting go of that. You know, I, I was suddenly uh, you know, men would look at me and people would accept me, etc. Um and it and it developed into into full blown anorexia. Well, what happened with me was I got to a point where I physiologically tipped my body, as anybody does when they, as you well know, when you enter into starvation, we are biologically programmed to eat. We get to a certain point. It's something you don't eat all day and then and then you come home and you eat too much, right? It's just that normal physiological reaction. Um, one day I was just so, so hungry that I ate. And I ate and then I ate some more and some more and some more and some more. And it was, you know, I, I completely lost control because my body was was in that starvation place. Um, and I remember not only feeling physically uncomfortable, but absolutely 
terrified, petrified that I was going to, this sounds insane, but going to instantly go back to that place of being where I was before. And I purged and, and, and I purged. I mean, when I was younger, I would overeat to the point of being sick. But at 19, when that happens, that first time I purged, that's when my bulimia, well, binge purge, anorexia, bulimia, whatever you want to call it, that's where it was born. And that continued until I was 38. So, Wow. Did you try yeah. to get help or try to get better in that space from when it started to when you were 38? I mean, trying to say, you know, the, the effects that that had on my life and my body and it, it, was, it was terrible. You know, I did try and get help. Initially, to be brutally honest with you, and this is what I find with my clients, I didn't want help. You know, I, I found absolutely not for the first, probably up to the first nine years or so, you know, I'd found this and I'm not glorifying it in any way, shape or form. It was painful and, and isolating and unpleasant, but... To me, I'd found this way that I could go back to to overeating and numbing my feelings and not having to worry about controlling my food or, you know, any of those things by purging. It was almost like I found a reset button, you know, and I, I had this sense of mastery. So uh, I felt quite victorious at the start. And, and, and when you develop disordered eating, as I'm sure many people associate with, you kind of develop this, this voice in your mind that that never leaves this mm. constant mind chatter um and at the start it was like you, you're doing this is amazing you you've got it down you've solved the problem here this is great you know and and I was able to maintain a very normal weight that looked good and felt right um but obviously the effects it had on my life you know it took its toll it took my career it took my friends etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah I did start to, to I got to the point mentally and physically where I knew that I needed help and I literally tried everything. Yeah. What what did help? Well, I mean, I tried everything. I went through the whole shaming on the on the NHS of, you know, we're not, you're not heavy enough for this treatment, you're too light for that treatment. This isn't going to be right for you because, and then I went through the whole having to sit in an office and say, well, this is how many times a day I, I make myself sick, et cetera, et cetera, which I absolutely loathe. And in my approach, we, we don't shame people. That's absolutely horrendous, you know, having to write down what you've done and uh, terrible. So, so, you know, it was very difficult for me to find anything that actually did work and being told we're going to eat three meals and two snacks and you've been doing that for such a long time it just didn't work and um, I had to reach a, a crisis point pretty much for for me to to tip the balance and get myself out of the place where I was I was admitted because I literally was in a crisis I was such a, a low weight and I was very very ill I was vomiting blood my body was shutting down I wasn't in a good place and um, so I had to make a choice and it was a very much a life and death choice. Do I want to be sectioned, lose my children um, and lose complete control of my life or do I now make a change? And I did it on my own. Yeah, it, it, it was absolute crisis. I had to break down to the, to the, to the bottom and, and then come back up from there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And by the way, I just muted myself because there's someone drilling next door. So if that happens again, as I'm talking, please let me know if you can still hear me. But yeah. what a story, Scarlett. And I think you've brought up something really key there. You had to something within you had to be ready to be like, right, 
I don't know how, and I'm scared to death and I'm petrified, but I cannot carry on like this. Yeah, I mean, physically, mentally, I I had to get to a point where I, you know, it was, I I don't have any shame now about how I was. I I fully understand that it's a mental health issue. I was in the grips of an addiction. You know, even in my pregnancy, I had my my four eldest children then. I've got seven children, but I had my four eldest then. Wow. Yeah. But even within pregnancy, I was able to ease up and be more gentle on myself. But even that wasn't enough to stop me because it became a form of self-harm for me. And I find this a lot with clients. There are so many different and individual reasons. Eating disorders start for one reason, but they don't necessarily continue for that same reason. You know, so for me, even, even having the children wasn't enough you know, for me to stop. Oh, we've got thunder here. So we're going to be hearing the thunder in the background. Um, but no, it, it wasn't enough. I had to literally reach the point of, I can't go any further. It's a yes or no. It's it's a live or die now. That's that's how severe it was for me because the addiction is so strong. The the, the brain chemistry behind binging and purging, you know, your, your neurotransmitters are all over the place. You're, you're it's like any addiction, you know, you're, you're, you're starving, which releases endorphins and then you're binging and you're purging and your dopamine's up and down. And, it, you know, I was in the grips of a really serious addiction and a mental health condition. So, yeah, had to get to crisis point for it to, to tip me into, into doing the changes that I needed to do. What did you, can you hear me, by the way? Cause I can, can hear you. Hear the drill? Yeah. No, can't hear the drill, no. Oh, okay, that's fantastic. So um, what did you then, what what happened next for you? So you reach this point where you're like, it's do or die. And it's interesting you've used those words because I've had a client who's finished coaching with me now and she said the exact same things when she came to me. And interestingly enough, she healed from 40 years of anorexia in three and a half months because she was fucking ready. Yes. And literally, I'm either going to die or I'm going to yeah. to live and she chose life so what yeah. did you do then did you get a coach a therapist or no, and, and what you just said there is what how, what I get with my clients is it, 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 which is why I only work with people when they're truly truly ready you know like you're probably the same as me we're in different areas but I have to have that call and I have to speak to that person and know that they are at that point where they need to be ready and then it's it's bang 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 you know yep. it isn't traditional therapy drives me up the wall even though I'm qualified in it going week after week after week it yes work. when someone is ready it is such a quick transition the destructuring the change it happens so so fast because they're in that right place and that's what happened with me I had to look very very complex and I'll try and I'll try and say you know quite as quickly as I can but I had to have a very very serious look now when you're when you're in that position where I physically couldn't carry on I had no choice but to look around me and think what is actually happening here so like, you know what you know how are you doing this so I had to look at my situation and realize that yes I do I have an eating disorder I am not anorexia I am not binge purge anorexia mm-hmm. I am me and I have this condition um and I had to look at that. So I had to separate myself from it and then kind of look at how, you know, I'm enabling this. So I had to realize the fact that I was using my husband as an enabler. I was I was manipulating situations in order for my condition to carry on. And that's a massive part of the work I do with clients. It's, it's very easy to deny 
you know, when you when you've got a disorder that severe, it takes a lot of structure. Really. It almost takes a village to maintain. Right, you don't just get up and and carry on like that without there being structures around you. So I had to address them, and that's you know kind of a lot of the work I do now is looking at people's day to day stuff, not going back, not constantly re-traumatizing and revisiting the past and you know, going on and on. Of course, the reasons why are valid. They were valid for me. This is why it happened. But that's that. We've, we've said that now. We can leave that there and move on to what's happening right now. And that's what I had to do. That's what I do with my clients now. It's like, what what is happening now? How is this serving me now? And how am I going to destructure it? Does that make sense? Rather than keeping yes. on going backwards. Absolutely. Um, that's why I became a coach. Um, instead of going down the licensed therapy route because I wanted free range and also WhatsApp support in between sessions. And I can see yeah. your website's under construction. I'm assuming you're stepping into coaching as well. So I've, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I am a qualified therapist, but I've, I stepped into coaching and got rich really quickly. So I'm scaling, so it's upscaling at the moment. But yeah, coaching is very, very different from therapy because, and it, and it suits me because I work in the now. I don't work in the past. And what I was finding was in my therapy practice, people would come through the door and say, this happened to me when I was a child. And I'll say, okay. And they're like, well, you don't want to hear the rest of the story for the next 24 weeks. No, not really, because you've just, <laughs> you've just told me what happened. So I now understand that you have a trauma manifest in your mind and your body. Let's look at how that manifests and how we're going to deal with it. Oh, we just cut out six months worth of work. But that's why I prefer the, the approach that I'm using now because it's proactive and it's working in the now, right? Things don't, especially with food, it's fluid. It, whatever it was then, it's not going to stay the same, is it? So you can constantly talk about the, the origins, but it's not going to, it's not going to get you anywhere. No, so that's what I did. You know, I had to do the opposite from everything that I'd done in conventional therapy. I literally want to be like mic drops that's exactly what I feel and that's exactly mm-hmm. what I do with my clients it's acknowledging the past and sometimes yeah. I do some trauma release and inner child work but it's moving forward to actually live in the life that you want to live yeah and so what I would love for you to share from your own personal experience and those that of your clients sneaky manipulative behaviors or how did the eating disorder show up when you decided like right do or die I'm choosing life I'm recovering and like you said you needed like a team of support to help you move forward with that what Mm. ways did the eating disorder try to self-sabotage and manipulate your life to stop you from doing that so when I when I worked on separating myself from my eating disorder I kind of realized that I had this voice and it, it you could almost define it as an auditory hallucination the eating disorder voice is so so strong and it becomes your identity it becomes you it's kind of like that is who you are and I think I went through some they diagnosed me with psychosis which I find absolutely hilarious because I was like I'm still fighting from this voice I'm fine you know I do not have psychosis I'm realizing that there is this voice telling me all the time if you don't do x y and z you're going to be back to where you were all of those years before if you don't do this if you don't do that you need to do this you need to do that da, 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 da. so what I did was I looked at that the self-sabotage part was actually that's not me that's an eating disorder that's an addiction that's a mental health condition I'm over here and that does sound insane 
but it was a very, very powerful process that I went through. And I was like, hang on a minute, I'm just, what? There is, there is another part of me. I had to literally get to know myself. I didn't know who I was. I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, I don't actually know who you are. I don't, I, I don't know anything about you. All I know is this eating disorder, is this voice, is this presentation, the way that I've been my whole life. And I had to get to know myself. I had to separate myself from it. So that's the sabotage part is realizing that you have this mind chatter, this voice. And it's the same for, for loved ones and people trying to help. It's like when you first approach, that's the first thing that you're gonna you're gonna meet the resistance with, right? Yeah. That that voice, that that disordered part is gonna come strong. And when you try and when you try and make changes, it's strong. It gets loud. Oh, no, 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 we're not going back there. And I'm like, yes, we are. Well, we're not, you know, but we're going to go forwards. And it is almost like splitting yourself from, from it. I it's like I let me into I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But... Well, I definitely would have had that if they diagnosed you, you with that. Because I remember my, I say my, the past eating disorder voice that I had it wasn't mine it was my experience when I wanted to recover and people were helping me I would be so angry well I wouldn't the eating disorder would be so angry and it would express through me and I thought it was me but the anger and the manipulation like when your mum's trying to say oh have an extra sandwich and you just want to tell her to like f off and like leave you alone it's not Mm -hmm. you the eating disorder doesn't want to be faced with recovery because it's going the opposite way to where it wants to take you so how can people deal with that severe reaction to people supporting them to get better when that's what they say they want but firstly you need to do it for yourself I think when other people step in it the voice gets even louder if that makes sense because it, it is a resistance isn't it and it, and it will shout like we can't do this you can't do that da, da, da. you know it, it's realizing yourself that you are separate and I, I know I keep repeating myself but it's so important it's, it's about looking at you as a person and just changing the narrative I am not anorexic. I have anorexia. You don't say I'm in bronchitis. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just bronchitis. And, and that's how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. You, you know, that's that's kind of how it works, how you start that separation. And um, is to is to look at it and 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 analyze it. I used to talk to it <laughs> and have like I used to find the gray because in traditional eating disorder recovery. To me, there is so much, within eating disorder patients, there is a lot of black and white thinking. There's a lot of yes and no, a lot of perfectionism. And I think with traditional approaches, they kind of go down the same route, you know, do this, do that, don't do this, do, do that, which is very, very difficult and very, very confusing. And I think if you can have conversations with yourself, with that voice, with that part of you, where you actually negotiate a little bit, potentially find the grey. Like, how can we, it sounds like, how can we, how can we discuss this? and find the gray let's find the easy way that we can do without completely fighting if i'd have gone all out against myself right i'm gonna eat and i'm gonna get up tomorrow and i'm gonna eat my breakfast and i'm gonna do all it i wouldn't have recovered you know i had to negotiate and say okay so this is how this is how this part of me feels terrified of being overweight again terrified of being that place and this part of me desperately wants to live a normal life and be happy so let's get some synergy Let's find some middle grounds. And that's kind of what I facilitate now, if that makes sense. 
conversations within the cell, which I think some traditional psychiatrists would potentially massively disagree with, but I find it really, really effective, really yeah. effective. So how and does it look like, let's say, sorry, can mm. say again? No, I was just saying it's very proactive and it is very, very fast. The, the results are quick, you know? Let's say someone who is in the binge, binge purge cycle, let's mm. say someone's had a, I say binge in quotes, because I don't actually, when someone works with me, we don't use the word binge, we use the word reactionary mm. eating because a binge is, is a reaction to restriction physically or mentally. Yeah. So yeah. when someone quote binges and then has that severe reaction to like, I need to purge now whilst I'm literally feel like I'm going to die because it's that strong, mm -hmm. that come into play with the talking with yourself and finding the, the grey, how would that look like? So part of it, you know, and what I did with myself initially and what I now facilitate is learning to sit with what is underneath those feelings. So, yes, it's uncomfortable when we when we come out of an eating disorder, anything that we eat inside our body is uncomfortable. But I had to learn to sit. I had to get through the urges, first of all, but then I had to learn to sit with the feelings and you can almost do it on a timer. OK, so like you'll feel a certain way and then like five minutes later you'll feel a different way. And it's like different emotions that you would have numbed by the actions of relapsing, by the actions of, say, you, like you said, the, the word binge. I don't really like the word binge either, but you have to get things across, you know, like so say you relapse, you eat and then the feelings come. So instead of taking those actions you would have taken before to remove the issue, the problem, to remove the feelings, to numb it out, start again, to get rid of it and carry on with the day. It's kind of about learning to sit with the feelings that come with it, you know, and that's like a timeline thing. So after the first five minutes, if you can get through those first five minutes, a range of emotions will come, like blah, 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 blah. so many emotions and they, they, they change. And then after five minutes, it's like, okay, let's go to the next five minutes and see what emotions come then. And it's learning to kind of sit with those feelings and emotions and urges and see where they take you. And personally, I went through, because I'd numbed for so many years, I'd spent numbing my feelings and my emotions. And within recovery, and I see this, I see it especially with men as well. It's really powerful in men. I'm not quite sure why, but it seems to be more powerful in men. Sitting with those feelings instead of numbing them or, or using some kind of action, because not all purging is, is, you know, being sick. It can be exercising, it can be laxatives, it can be all quite any manner of things. But sitting with those feelings and experiencing them is, is such a it, it's not always a painful and difficult thing sometimes it can be quite joyous because you've been hiding and masking for so many years that you're not used to doing it so it's kind of like doing it is a really really powerful thing and initially it's difficult but after a while it becomes quite exciting if that makes sense you know like I get clients like oh today I had, I had the, the most amazing rage you know obviously we have we have ways of dealing with it we make toolboxes we find ways of personalized ways of dealing with it but just feeling what's underneath those binges or purges whatever you want to call them or whatever reactory behaviors or eating what's underneath and sitting with it and going through it and you know feeling into it is it, yeah it's difficult but it's necessary and that and, and that's kind of what eating disorders have been do, do don't they on the day-to-day -day. they numb and they hide and they and they dampen down all of those feelings and emotions yeah and you know I heard this years ago and it still sticks with me today 
the worst thing that will ever happen to you is that you will feel a feeling. <laughs> yeah. And when that really landed with me, I was like, and I, I'm, I have a natural personality of, I like to challenge myself and be like, yeah, we can do this. So when I heard that, whenever I then next had a difficult feeling, I'll be like, yeah, the, this is the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to feel this feeling. So let's do it then. Let's like, and I speak to myself all the time. I have two voices in my head all the time. And yeah. I'm like, come on, sweetheart, let's sit with this pain yeah. of grief or of lack of connection or of shame. And we can do that. We can sit and feel that. And like you say, if you're open to it, it doesn't have to feel horrible. It can feel, I mean, the word that's coming to me is alive. Yes. I'm alive. Alive. You you become alive in recovery. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, the, the feelings and emotions and reactions. And it was, it was a real journey. You know, it wasn't all anger and upset and tears and rage and stuff. And I got to know myself. I know you work a lot with self-love. And I feel like those are the underpinnings of starting to love in yourself is learning about who you actually are that's kind of my part of this journey is you know who am I when I'm separate from my eating disorder and once you start to get to know that it's such a beautiful journey I didn't know that I was as fiery and passionate I, I, I believe that all of these traits that I had were some kind of genetic flaw you know I'm extremely good at starving myself because I'm so strong-willed and actually no I'm just a powerful passionate woman who when I want something I'll go after it it's nothing to do with an eating disorder so getting to know those parts of yourself is amazing you know and that's that's where that's where recovery lies and that's when you can move into self-love so that's when we go over to <laughs> over to you but it's getting to know yourself it's amazing, you know, and those feelings, and I'm the same as you, I, I will, now, I kind of like the challenge of, I like fear, especially if something scares me, I'm like, come on, let's have it, bring it, come yes. on, whatever it is, I want to feel it and experience it now, and, and I actually, I'm like, oh, okay, let's go, and, and, because if you don't feel your feels, you're not alive, like you said, you know? True, and I see, so we use the word interchangeably, emotion and feeling. I don't know how you feel about this. I see in Victoria's world, emotion, which is energy in motion or wanting to yeah. be in motion. Yeah. So I see that we receive, and I'm doing it from external, but wherever it comes from, our thoughts mainly, we receive an emotion, which is energy in motion. And then mm -hmm. if we're open and willing, we feel that emotion yeah. and then mm -hmm. express it and then let it go. And, and the, yeah, hundred percent. And the emotion comes from the neural pathways, from the from the thoughts that we have that create the neurons, that create the neural pathways, that create the emotion, and then the feelings. So I do use them interchangeably. Um, but scientifically, it's like a it's a pathway, isn't it? It's it's a, a journey that you continue down. And with disordered eating, you learn to disrupt that quite effectively. So. You yeah. find ways of putting blocks in there. I don't like this. I don't want to feel this. Yeah. And then you get to focus on, because we are where our attention is, we get to mm -hmm. focus on gratitude or even start with neutrality. And then yeah. obviously pick our way up to gratitude, to love, to joy, to presence. And then what we focus on, we get more of. And so we get more of these feelings and then your journey continues that way. And you're building different pathways in your mind, which is what I kind of sneakily do behind the set behind the scenes. You know, I'm working on helping people to form new neural pathways in their brain 
different walkways, different subways to go under, different ways to travel, if that makes sense, different pathways, because the old ones no longer serve us. Yes. And it all kind of ties in very, very, very much so, most definitely. I would love to go down the path of weight gain. So I am Mm. assuming that you had to gain weight in your recovery. Did I assume correctly? Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was... I work say four stone. I'm what ten. I'm what I. Oh, I am now ten something like that. Something so I would have gained mid six six stone something stone. Don't use scales. Don't really don't really know what they are. <laughs> um, but yeah, most definitely. You know, I'm I am um very much in love with myself now. But but weight gain. Um, yeah, it was a struggle. It it wasn't more about weight gain. It was about feeling the food inside my body because I suppose personally I had what you would describe as anorexia even though my uh eating episodes were enormous and then I would purge for hours and hours and hours I was clinically what you describe an anorexic so it was more about feeling food inside me and that was my struggle and as I got to know myself and sort of parts of my character, it wasn't as bad, the actual gaining of the weight for me. It was more about the feeling of the food. So I had to learn to sit with the food inside me. And that was literally a time, I had to literally time it out, sit it out. It was hard at the start. I was like, right, we can do this. We're going to eat, we're going to do five minutes. And it wasn't, it, it has to be a realistic thing. You know, I knew that I had to eat enough to calorifically tip the balance otherwise I wouldn't have gone into recovery but I definitely didn't wake up one day and eat three meals and two snacks that's absolutely not what happened and um, I had to take it slowly and unconventionally I said whatever I can eat that that kind of works and gives me enough I want to eat it whatever that might be and I'm going to sit with it and I, I would literally time it five minutes okay I'm all right I'm still I'm still going <laughs> Ten minutes, and then move on and forget about it. You know, distraction techniques, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was more about feeling the food. Um, and then as my body changed, I and this can be absolutely criminal in the eyes of some traditional therapists. I exercised in a healthy, productive, self-loving way, and I fell in love with it. That's the most important. And, and, yeah self-loving it's not so it wasn't as a compensatory behavior it was self-love gentle I started off I have a I have a health condition anyway so it was about gently moving my body feeling my body getting to know my body I think I did I think it was the salsa thing I did or something but it was it was it was about feeling my body and getting to know it and 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 now I exercise healthily and proactively because I like to and, and often I'm literally you possibly that as an eating sore therapist. Well, why not? <laughs> you know, it's the same with anything else. Food is not the criminal, is it? It's it, in an eating disorder. It's it's part of a symptomatic addiction and a mental health condition. The same as exercise is not necessarily the criminal if it's used correctly and healthily. And you know, I agree with that. And so with my mm-hmm. clients, my anorexia recovery clients specifically, I use my intuition here. So depending on who they are and. And and then when they do want to start movement again, because I'm like you, I love movement. Exercise is a big part of my life. I'm a personal trainer. I do a lot of fitness stuff. Now, of course, it comes from a very healthy, self-loving, empowered place. And Mm -hmm. so when a client's ready to do that, or if they're asking in anorexia recovery, it's not a hard no, 
I'm, I'm like, let's talk about it then. Why do you want to? That's the most important thing. Why? Is it because the eating disorder is screaming so loud? It needs, it feels like it needs to move. Or is it because you genuinely feel better when you move your body, which I get and your body is supposed to move, right? So I love that we're talking about this because it isn't black and white. And I think speaking from personal experience, when I recovered, I didn't stop exercising, even from anorexia recovery, I didn't stop exercising. Whereas if I was in an inpatient treatment, I'm assuming I would have been made to be on bed rest, but actually exercising, it was more for horses because I was a horse rider. So it was more of like being active and riding horses all day. That's what helped me in recovery to focus, like you've shared, connecting to your body. For me, it was being outside, being with horses. If I hadn't had that, would I have even wanted to recover? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. And with me, it was about connecting with my body and feeling my body and, and getting to know the movements and, 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 and yeah. And if it is, it's, it's a healthy, proactive thing, you know, but like you said, always you know there are going to be extremes of people but what I don't like in anything to do with eating disorders is yes or no's because that's how eating disorders function at the basic level with everybody it's perfectionism and it's black and white and it's yes or no so if you know for example I had an anorexic patient who was like I don't want to exercise it would be obvious whether it was being done in a proactive healthy way and if it wasn't then I would address that but if they said to me, you know, I really would like to exercise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't straight away say, no, 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 you can't do that. Because I just don't believe in that. I think that's that's the same kind of thinking that the eating disorder likes and, and wants to operate with, you know. It, it, supervisory, you'd, you'd have to be, it's an individual thing, right? You'd have to be careful with people. But normally, if it hasn't been part of the original problem, when somebody turns around and says, I would like to move, and, 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 and you know, it doesn't, in recovery, because you're effectively in recovery if you're working with me, you don't develop an exercise addiction. Do you see what I mean? Um, yeah, but exercise can be, even the word exercise, I, I prefer the word movement myself, but it can be a really dirty word in eating disorder recovery, um, which I find really frustrated. I did a podcast a couple of days ago with a, a, a lovely woman who recovered for using ballet. And you think, and if she's out there, she'll have a massive story. You think ballet, is that not the most anorexic triggering thing there possibly is but no for her it, it gave her the, the movement and the attachment with her body and herself and it was a wonderful thing for her an absolute catalyst for change between the mind and body link and using you know so it's an individual thing don't you think it really is and you know whilst we're on the subject of like harmful behaviors that in that we see in professional spaces is there anything else that you see um, that in your opinion can be harmful to someone who is in eating disorder recovery is anything else that you see in the in, in what do you mean in relation to professionals or oh yeah professionals more so so a figure who people look up to and who trust to help them recover and then they're saying things or doing things and you just like face like having your hand in your face like no why yeah. yes I am um, particularly I see a lot on Instagram and um, in particular with people who are facilitating recovery who will talk about the permanent damage from eating disorders. 
not sure that I buy into that. I had osteopenia, which is just before you have osteoporosis, and my dexastan, my bone density was borderline osteoporosis. That's not the right word. I had nearly had osteoporosis, um, but it didn't stay. It wasn't permanent. You know, I did have gastroparesis, if you like, because I wasn't eating, but it didn't stay. But there is a lot of talk about dealing with the permanent damage from your you know, uh, restarting your your damaged metabolism, or you know how to how to deal with the the damaged parts of your personality that make you eating disorders. Wow, I don't believe in any of that. I don't. I've if, I've yet to see this gene. Uh, you know, the, the the actual scientific proof for this gene that exists that gives people eating disorders. I don't believe there is such thing. Um, but there is a lot of talk about dealing with your damaged parts. No, no one's damaged. We're all whole and complete. I do believe with the evidence that anorexia, there's a genetic component to it that gets switched on and off with the migration response, depending on what body weight you're at. I believe that, but it doesn't mean anyone's flawed because now my anorexia gene and yours, it's switched off. It's not in, it's not um, expressing itself. The, 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 the genetic evidence is towards personality trait type. So once you're actually in the groups of anorexia, most definitely the brain chemistry changes uh, and your neurons produce the proteins that produce the cells in your body, et cetera, et cetera. But the actual personality type, I, I definitely agree that personality types are more likely or predispositions, like that powerful element of me, that drive that I have, um, that passion, that ability to say what I want to say when I want to say it, that confidence could easily be twisted into a determination to, to be a successful anorexic. That I do definitely believe in, that people have a disposition um, or predisposition to having an eating disorder. But I don't, I haven't seen any actual evidence for an actual gene. And they'll say, you know, like in families, eating disorders will go down the line. And I think, well, what is the is this nature or nurture because nobody can actually prove but I'm, I'm i'm quite happy to be proven wrong at this point but is it nature or nurture because luckily for me i had um i have a chronic health condition so i was able to hide my eating disorder behind this health condition so i was like well mommy's ill mommy's not well mommy can't eat because she's ill so luckily for me my girls and my son have really, really good body confidence. But what they do have is a complete intolerance to people who are ill. And I have to, I admit that, that's my fault. You know, they're like, oh, just get over it. It's wrong with you. It's not mine. It's not complaining. But that's the nurture part. That's my fault. And I, I'm like, guys, can we just be a little bit gentle? You know, <laughs> they obviously have, and they're like, ah, they're fine, get up, girl. But that's what, that's what the nurture part was with my, that's how I continued it, it genetically, if you like, down the line. Um, but yeah, personality types, most definitely. You know, different personality types are going to be more determined within their disorder. And well, once that, you that, to... that helps you to recover, right? Every all of the characteristics exactly. that you have yes. to easily get into an eating disorder is everything you need to get out of it anyway. And it doesn't mean that you are going to get an eating disorder. That's my no. main point here. You know, it, it's not a genetic thing. Like so many people come to me and say, "Well, I'm genetically." You know, I'm going to be anorexic because I've got X, Y, and Z personality traits, and I just think, oh, there's no actual proof for that. 
you know, there is a lot of science behind what happens to people when they are in the grips of an eating disorder, most definitely, because your, your physiological changes and your brain changes are profound. But before that point, you know, no, you're, you're not flawed, you're not broken, there isn't a gene inside you that says you're going to be an anorexic, it, you know, but yes, I will agree on top of that, that certain personality types may make it worse, yeah. Well, I agree with you fully that no one is damaged, everyone can fully recover, because I hear a lot, um, you'll always have an eating disorder, it's just managing it, and I'm like, that's bullshit, Absolute bullshit. I'm fully, fully recovered. And I will say that with complete and utter conviction. And I've had this so many times. Are you sure? Yes, 100%. I'm an expert <laughs> experience. And I'm, yeah, I'm also very sure. And I'm, this is why we do what we do, right? And I believe that our belief of full 100% recovery helps our clients recover 100% because we're not like, yeah, I'm just managing it, but I'm way, but no we're completely free and it's possible for everybody else too because we just hit the toxic trait of of a a lot of coaches and it's right there is you'll always be a managed you know like like substance you know you're a man you're an ex i'm not an ex anything i'm recovered and i'm whole and i'm well i wasn't well and now i am you know so i don't yeah i completely believe in full recovery a hundred percent you too. And the other thing, and I'm curious if you see this or if we're even on the same page with this, what I see that's really damaging is a few of the clients that I've had that have been in inpatient treatment before they've in inpatient treatment, they've wanted to like eat more food than what they've been given, which in my opinion is a good thing. Cause if they're anorexic, they need to also be weight restored. But the professional said, Oh, don't eat too much. You don't want to go into binge eating disorder. I'm literally like, that's the worst fucking thing you can ever say to someone who's recovering from anorexia. What do you think about that? There is a certain, I'm not a doctor, but there is a certain medical state where you can be so underweight that you can suffer from um, refeeding syndrome. Yes. Um, I'm not qualified to make statements on that, but it is a certain reaction the body can have to over, over, uh, not to say overeating, but eating too much food too quickly. That is a thing. That's yeah. definitely a scientific thing. Um, inpatient treatment to me is like being in prison because you know I, I don't agree with any of it absolutely any of it but yes there is extreme places where people can be where you know potentially eating too much but otherwise it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because what actually happens is when people go into recovery and I've seen this time and time and time and time again is that they do overeat they do overshoot because they've been in starvation for so long and that's something that I have to help people walk through on the regular and I did so with myself because your body is compensating. It's trying to build itself back up. It's trying to fix the things that were broken. Fascinatingly, I always find this really fascinating. When I was really, really eating disordered, I never got colds. I never got ill. Yeah. I never got sickness. I never got anything. It was almost like I was not alive. My yeah. body did nothing. I know how I got pregnant. It was like a miracle. <laughs> it was meant to be. But it was almost like nothing happened. And then when I got well, everything started to happen. I started to get colds and illnesses and spots and period pains. I'm like, really? But when I was ill, ill, and that's because my body was 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 being fed and it was compensating, you know. So yeah, I did I did have to deal a little bit with the original wanting to overeat and and 
to discourage that is insane because it's recovery like you said just said you, you it is how recovery works the body is like feed me feed me i want to get better and that's what i have to sit through and i do have to walk clients through that most definitely it is one of the parts of it so to, to tell someone not to do that is absolutely ridiculous most yeah. definitely <laughs> agree with that and so mm. Scott, is there anything that i've not asked you as we start to wrap up that you would like to speak to or share We've covered my main bugbear, which is, you know, the diagnostic criteria drives me up the actual world. Um, you know, that the eating disorders do not have a shape or size. We haven't talked about men. Um, men suffer too. Um, pretty much, I'd say a quarter of my client base are male. Um, and they uh, are absolutely shamed. It's, it's awful the way men are treated within eating disorders, recovery, eating disorders, acceptance, open any social media um, platform and it, it's becoming a little bit more mainstream now we've had a couple of famous people have come out and talked um I think Ed Sheeran um made had some articles recently but men are so excluded from treatment and that absolutely boils me as well because they are just as important as women you know it's no different for them in fact it's probably a worse struggle because it's seen as a feminine illness isn't it so yeah that's something I'm quite passionate about as well yeah. So if, um, yeah. if people can want to work with you, how do you work with people? Do you offer one-to-one group therapy? What is it that you do exactly? Yes, well, I, I'm moving into coaching. So I'm moving into coaching. So I do do one-to-ones. Part of that coaching is one-to-one calls. Um, but we need to be the right fit. So like we said earlier, people need to be at the right stage. They need to be ready. Um, so I do like to do quite an extensive onboarding process where we have to have a long conversation. Um, and my programme does involve one-to-one calls. It involves Zoom meets. Um, and yeah, but they have to, people have to be in the right place. They have to be ready. I don't just say, yeah, come to me. I'll take money and we'll do this, that and the other. And my programme is... Um, very powerful it's very quick moving it's very powerful I don't want people six one year down the line I want you well so if you're coming to me you're ready because <laughs> we're going in that's basically how it is but yeah people do need to be ready they do. I love it and I can tell just by getting to know you now from the time we spent together that you will create massive transformations with your clients because of who you are, because of your modalities that you use, because of your personal experience and because of the no bullshit approach and the actually, okay, let's actually do this, not talk for a year about what happened in childhood. Most definitely. And it's like I say, I keep on saying you cannot learn how to smile from a book. You cannot learn certain things from a book. It doesn't matter how many letters somebody has after the name. Yes, professional qualifications are great for client boundaries, for learning how to treat people, et cetera, et cetera. But lived experience is absolutely massive. You know, that empathy. It's like I'm like, hey, you know, me too. <laughs> but I have in my heart, my soul, my mind been there with my head down the roof six hours a day, four years and years and years. And that kind of thing, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? It really does. It really you know? does. Which is why I like the coaching modality better than therapy. Most definitely. You can be so much more in there, on the dot approach. Love it. Yeah, me too. We're on the same page for sure, Scarlett. So thank you for your time today and your wisdom. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been fabulous. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And to all our listeners and watchers, if you, of course, I'll link everything below for how you can find Scarlett. Go and follow her, reach out to her if you'd like her help. And I will see you next time. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please share, subscribe and leave me a five-star review. Your support means the absolute world to me and it really does help me to get my podcast out there for those that need it. Thank you.